Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello and welcome to the Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, SP Nation's one and only blog covering your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm PD and with me today are Eric Seeds and Elaine Shercliffe. Hey guys. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Great. It, it, we have a lot to talk about today. It's a very exciting week as uh, the Blue Jackets have defeated the Toronto Maple Leafs in five games in the qualifying round and now advance on very little rest to face the Tampa Bay Lightning in the official first round of the playoffs. Of course, a rematch of last year's first round series. So first, we're going to start with the Toronto series. Seeds, uh, I seem to recall before the series, you had predicted a the Jackets would win it in four games. It took them five <laughs> games. So what what uh, what matched your expectations in terms of why you thought they would win? And what about the series surprised you? Well, for 57 minutes of Friday night's game, they were going to win it in four games. And then the team decided to... Totally melt down. I know a lot of you guys were blaming me. Uh, last time I checked, I wasn't on the ice and I didn't take stupid penalties in overtime and complain at the refs. So I'm not uh, responsible for losing game four. I went to bat for you on Twitter. <laughs> Appreciate you, Elaine. So what, what matched my expectations were that the Jackets were able to play their four checking game for the majority of the series and uh, limit Toronto's chances at five on five. It's how they beat Tampa last year. It's how they just beat the Leafs. The Jackets... Um, at five on five, so you know, with without Toronto's empty net and without Toronto on the power play, Toronto shot sub two percent in the series. That's that's how you win. That's that's how you win. They held Marner in check. They held John Tavares in check for the most part. And outside of Austin Matthews going hog wild in game two, they mostly held him in check. The Jackets were able to keep the Leafs star or the yeah the Maple Leafs all stars off the score sheet generally. And for the most part, stay out of their own way outside of, you know, some headaches in game two and the meltdown in game four. The Jackets, while they might have played a dull series by Toronto standards, um, who want to see apparently high flying six, five games and nothing resembling a defense whatsoever. The Jackets played their game, stuck to their identity, the identity they've had for much of the year, regardless of who was in net, regardless of who was in the lineup. Every player bought in and did what they needed to do to win, and the Jackets pulled it out. I'm, uh, I'm shocked that Bjorkstrand had as bad of a series as he did. That was the most surprising thing for me, and I'm sure we'll touch on that right. later. But 
for the most part, what didn't surprise me was the Jackets just stuck to their identity and were, the at the end of the day, the better team over five games. Same question for you, Elaine. How, how did this match or deviate from your expectations? I had no clue how to feel. <laughs> just, just because I've seen both teams' farm teams play so much. I mean, we play them eight games during the season. And then last year, we played them in the second round of the playoffs. And the, te- and the teams play similar styles, right? And they both They're play relative to the current club. Styles, yeah. Right. And in the playoffs last year, they had Sheldon Keith mm-hmm. as their their coach. So the system went up from both angles. And I've seen both teams mail it in when they feel like they've lost it. And I've seen both teams play balls to the walls. And I, I was unsure. I was like, either one of these teams is getting swept or it's going all the way to five games. But even then... It was such like a a, a crapshoot. I didn't think there would be two games in a row of overtime, but, you know, that's my luck. <laughs> um, yeah. But, it, I mean, I wasn't really surprised by much. Um, Keith made some interesting decisions, like keeping the money line out um, in game five. That was weird. He played right into the, the jacket's hands and proved that, um, he was not 100% sure how to crack them. So. The thing that surprised me is that Toronto actually played much better defense than I thought they would. You know, because the narrative coming into the series was so much about, well, the Jackets played defense and the Maple Leafs play offense. You know, they've got this great offense and what's going to happen. But that, you know, if the Jackets could get anything going offensively, the, the Leafs would have no way to stop them with their defensive core or whatever. But even though the Jackets are obviously far from a world-beating offensive team, they still struggled to get close to the net or anything like that. So Toronto, I thought, was basically playing Blue Jackets hockey. And they played the it series. badly. <laughs> well, but I thought they played it better than I thought they would. Right. What, what ended up being their downfall is that they were playing Blue Jackets hockey. But, you know, it's like that that quote from Dark Knight Rises where you're like, oh, you, you, know, you live in the dark, but I was born in it. You know, like <laughs> we were born in the dark. We were born playing Blue Jackets hockey. Neither There's just no way for them. <laughs> yeah. There's just no way for them to to top us when it came when it came to that. But uh, you know they did they did pretty well keeping what offensive talent we have from doing too much for long stretches of time. Really, I thought. True. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an up and down series, roller coaster. Game two was a disaster. Good. We don't really need to talk about game two, do we? Right? We just, no. Yeah. Just right. move on. Moving on to to, to game three, which started out looking like it was going to go very badly. And midway through... Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois decided to take over and that, win that, the game that, on his shoulders. Before that, before that, <laughs> the Leafs went up 3-0. Uh, Nick Robertson, their their own version of Liam Fui, a newly arrived rookie, scored a goal that was pretty soft on Corpusal. He had a great series, but that one was kind of soft. And so Torts made a goalie change. And the Jackets came back. Thanks to Pierre-Luc Dubois and Elvis, you know, stood tall in net during that game. So uh, do you guys think that that goalie change mattered or do you think the team still would have come back even if Corpus Allah had stayed in net in game three? Oh, I said it before and I'll keep saying it. Sometimes you just have to change a goalie out to get um, <clears throat> to get the confidence to change, to get the team to get their heads out of their asses. I mean, it's not that Corpusalo played awful. It's mm-hmm. that everyone else was either not trusting him or 
they just the offense also wasn't playing well in that one game so <laughs> the defense had to the defense had to step into the offensive role and then Corby had to play a completely different game so once they make a change you know you start thinking oh I should probably change my game as well and also Elvis came come came in with a little bit different confidence like when Corby came into game five he got on the ice and he was like dancing you know <laughs> you knew he was in yeah. it to win it because he was like I the tiger baby let's do this like so I I, I think that a goalie change always changes um, the momentum on the ice yeah Seeds, what, what did you think about that and, and Corby versus Elvis in this series I mean, we don't win this series if both of them don't play well. I know Elvis gave up three goals at the end of game four. For those of you who have, may not have heard the news, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has, Elvis is hurt and is out indefinitely at this point. I don't know if he got hurt during, like, when during that game, if he was hurt in the last couple of minutes and just trying to see it out or what was going on. I don't I, I don't know. Um, but Elvis played well for most of game four. He absolutely played well in game three when he came in relief. And um, I think it might have been Allison Lucan who was talking about this on Front Nationwide last week. But Elvis coming in and immediately making that play where he went down and broke up, broke up that uh, what seeming breakaway for Toronto. Like just skated out and broke that up. Yeah, he, he, like he came out past the faceoff circles. It was crazy. Right. He was way. He was he was up near the he was up near the blue line. But that kind of like. That might have just helped settle the team down, you know. That you know, you know. Okay, our goal, this goalie's back here. He's got our back. He's, and, and then that enabled the offense to kind of you know loosen up and play a little more freely. And then obviously Pierre Luc Dubois decided to take over and had a monstrous game three. Um, I think the goalie change was necessary. I think it was the right call to start him in game four. And I wish Elvis well getting back healthy here shortly. Because we're I gonna think- if if this team's gonna make a deep run, they're gonna need him. Sure, I think that. It's not a coincidence that the team was able to score uh, seven unanswered goals at one point between games three and four when Elvis was in net because of yeah his ability to play the puck is a weapon I think is very important to this system. He essentially becomes like a third defenseman and it can really help mm-hmm. the breakouts with his ability to get the puck up ice. And that's just not something that's in Corpus Allo's repertoire. Um, but I do have to give credit to Corpus Allo. When he was in, this was probably not a stretch to say the best we've seen him play. Um, He was a lot more settled than he usually is. He was not flopping around in the crease like he sometimes does, which I mean, he's he's a crazy athlete, so he's able to make those plays. But I thought he was a lot more settled in. And yeah, Elaine, you're right. He was totally locked in in game five. Uh, No one was going to take that game from him. Just wait till 2016 Corpus Allo rears his ugly head. It'll be <laughs> freaking amazing. <laughs> I was gonna say I was oddly settled in game uh in game five last night because he was he looked strong and was out challenging shooters. He was at the top of his crease, limiting angles. He only really got beat once, and it was when John Tavares at the post, uh uh-huh. with a wide open net. Um I I was Corpus Allo played outstanding in this series. I think we also need to credit our blue line for how well yeah. they played. Um, I I know the Jackets lost Game Four for a myriad of reasons. I you'll, I'll never be able to prove this, but I'm sure that if Zach Warinski plays those last nine minutes, the Jackets close that game out. That's they just they close that game out in four games. Credit to Z for and Ryan Murray for coming back and playing yeah. both of them playing a cru- crucial minutes in Game Five. Z getting the game winning goal. 
But I was very impressed with pretty much everyone responsible for keeping the puck out of the net for Columbus, be it with defensemen, um, a, back, uh, a, for, a forward on the back check, or one of the goaltenders. The Jackets did what they needed to do to beat the Leafs, and they they had a they had a plan, they had a system, and they executed it near to near perfection for three three and a half games. Yeah, so I I won't give them credit as a team for their their mental fortitude. So in in game three, you know they're down three nothing, but I think it's a situation they've been in a number of times over the last few years. They know that they could erase a deficit like that and they did they had confidence in what they were doing and they came back and now obviously the last four minutes of game four were uh in regulation were a disaster on their part and and i had concerns after that about oh my gosh you know toronto came back they're going into game fives it's going to be um you know is, is that going to be a shattering kind of kind of thing um but then sunday morning there are press conferences um, and Jones and Bjorkstrand were there representing the players and then Torts did his thing. And I was struck by the confidence that they had. They were very cool and calm and like not bothered at all by what had happened on Friday night, which was the first indication because I was nervous on Sunday. But that gave me an indication like, oh, they're they're not nervous about this at all. Like that's game four has no issue. And, and Torts said something like, you know, I think we have the momentum which I thought was a ridiculous statement because how, <laughs> how can you say you have the momentum when you just, right. you know, blew a game, you know? But I think what he meant was uh, the Jackets were playing their game and had a lot of success in games three and game four playing their game. And if they just did that again, they were probably going to win game five. And I think that's that's what happened. So, uh, Elaine, what, what were your emotions going into game five and then during game five? Well, first of all, going into game five, I was really tired. It just it reminded me of what it was like during the monster season and why I get so burnt out because, you know, game <clears throat> three and four, you know, they go into overtime and then they have a game less than 24 hours later. Right. But in monsters land, that game would probably be at 3 p.m. instead of 8 p.m. And there, and there are and there are back to backs in the AHL playoffs, right? Yes. We're, we're just not used to that in the NHL postseason. <laughs> right. Right. So then, you know, you have that day off, but I, you know, also working and trying to, um, that Friday, watching the game Friday goes into overtime, doing all the moving that I'm doing. And then Sunday's game, I was like, this is fine. We're fine. <laughs> I'm fine. We're all fine. And I wasn't because I didn't know how to feel because I was optimistic, but I also was like, I was so confident that we were going to win that fourth game. Yeah, that fourth game, I didn't want to get like ahead of myself and then be deflated. Right. So then those final few minutes of the game, I still was like, be cool, be cool, keep it together, keep it together. But Well, that's like, even when Felino got his empty netter, there was like, what, 40 seconds left? I'm like, this isn't over. This isn't over. They can still score three goals. <laughs> like, I was like, I grew up watching the Hawks play. I know what can happen. <laughs> Honestly, honestly, I was coming down the final stretch after Foodie scored. I didn't. I wasn't honestly all that worried. I don't know. I just felt like the, the, there was no way they were going to let that happen to them twice in a row. Mm. There was no way. This team and I and I was. I yeah, like you guys just said. I don't really have much to add outside of I just also want to credit their mental fortitude. Um, that was my biggest question going into the game. Uh, 
how would they respond on a tight turnaround after blowing that lead in such horrific fashion? And Torts had him ready. Torts had him ready. The leadership in the room had him ready. Credit to that team for doing it. I will say, I, I felt a lot better just after Wierenski's goal because I felt better about the Jackets playing with the lead. Because again, they're such a defensive team that, but you worry about, okay, where the goal is going to come from. So if they get a goal, mm. then that's a good start. They can, right. they can work with that. They can, they can hold on to that lead for a long time when they're playing like the way that they're playing, which ended up working out. And speak, speaking of Wierenski, quick plug, go to jacketscanon.com. We've got a link there to an entire collection of t-shirts from our friends at Breaking Tea that are officially licensed by Zach Wierenski himself. So be sure to check that out and get a Wierenski shirt now for the uh, remainder of the playoff run. There's, there's, plenty of, there's plenty of room on the Zach Wierenski bandwagon with me. You're welcome. Make Come sure join. you cut off the sleeves, though, because nothing is more awesome yeah, than having yeah, a muscle tank. Especially the, the loose cannon shirt that features his mullet and his trash stash. It is, <laughs> it is tremendous. Nothing says we support a dirtbag-looking player than cut-off sleeves. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so last bit on the Toronto series. Who is the MVP of the series? Seeds? Can I pick both goaltenders? Sure. Because, I mean, we don't win this series without both of them, and both of them were the most instrumental players in that series. Elvis Elvis made 21 saves on 21 shots when he came in in Game 3, and for 57 minutes of Game 4 was a world beater. Uh, And Corpus Allo obviously had shutouts in Games 1 and 5. I mean, they're they're the MVPs with a special... uh, Well, I'll let you guys go ahead. All right, Elaine? John Tortorella. I know in the beginning we were a little confused by his goalie choice, and then having Harrington play, which we won't talk about. Uh, <laughs> but he is truly the reason why the guys have the mindset they do. He keeps preaching that mindset, even though sometimes he might be preaching it very aggressively. Um, but sometimes that is what a player needs to hear in that manner. <laughs> and then, you know, when Keith decided not to separate the money line, because that's what I'm going to keep calling them. <laughs> he was like, okay, well, I guess we're now going to wear out your money line, and then we're going to attack the rest of your players, and Mitch Marner is going to have to play defense, <laughs> and that's how it's going to be. Yeah. I think he handled this whole series very well. Um, and, yeah, to me, they might not have won if they didn't have that coach who was in their ear firing them up like PLD doesn't strike. I know people complained that he yelled at PLD on the bench, Mm -hmm. but PLD is not the kind of player who's going to like thrive under someone going, Oh gee, you are doing such a great job. Or like, don't mess up next time. You know, his dad was a coach. His dad coached in the AHL for the Manitoba moose. So that team was very aggressive. (laughs) So I can only imagine how used to it and how much it like, fuels his hate fire to be better by having someone draw him like that. Yeah. And yeah, and this is, you know, year three of Dubois being on towards his team. And I think they have a complete understanding of each other. And I think Torts knows that he can, he can get aggressive like that and that Dubois is going to take it the right way. And Dubois knows that Torts is giving him feedback that he needs to hear. 
Sometimes it's a little kick in the ass that he needs and it, and it works out. So, and so I would say Dubois is probably my MVP uh, just to mix it up here. Obviously hat trick in game three, just incredible. Uh, I'm just sad that that game couldn't be a nationwide because just imagine an overtime winner, the caps, a hat trick in nationwide, the roof would have come off the place. That would have been amazing. And with People an would have thrown ba- their bodies onto yeah. the ice instead of hats. They just would have just been like, yeah. yes! <laughs> throwing, throwing, you know, shirts and pants, just everything's going on the ice. And, you know, Dubois, he, uh, I thought he played much better defensively than he has in a while. He's been used this year very much offensively minded. Uh, and I think Torres wanted him to improve his defensive game. And we saw it here. He, you know, uh, first two games, he was matched up a lot against Matthews. And, you know, for the for the most part, you know, he held his own there and kept Matthews from getting many clean looks. And uh, and he thoroughly outplayed John Tavares in games three and four. Absolutely. Because that's that's who he was primarily. He was primarily matched up against Tavares in those two games when the Jackets had the last change. And, you will you know, game three, he had his hat trick. Game four, the Jackets dominated the Leafs for mo- the majority of that game. And Dubois, th- this this series was the PLD coming out party. Mm-hmm. And like like there were there were guys who were or there, I saw a tweet today about how I think it was Steve Simmons was complaining that like, oh, Panarin and McDavid and Drysidel aren't around anymore. Uh, who's the NHL going to market? Crosby's out now. And it's like, well, maybe now you can market guys like I forget who I forget who quotes tweeted it, but it was like there's still guys in this that you can market like the uh, Kucherov and Stamkos and PLD was mentioned was named yeah. in this tweet along with you know Sebastian uh, Aho Alex, De- or... Alex, Alex yeah Sebastian Aho the whole first uh, line Svechnikov to bring it you know there, there's guys you can there's guys to market that aren't just Sidney Crosby yeah they're so. they're, they're good players throughout the league and, and yeah Dubois definitely deserves to be counted as one of them. Quick honorable mention to Alexander Texier, who coming off a back injury, hadn't played since January, and he was a force in this series. Mostly playing with Dubois, he was tenacious on the forecheck, um, and, and that the winner in Game 3 was a thing of beauty. Dubois got the goal, but Texier deserved that assist. He picked Tavares' pocket, skated down the ice, made a perfect pass right to the tape of Dubois, right at the blue line, just an absolutely perfect play. And I'm really excited to see more from Texier going forward. Uh, And speaking of going forward, uh, after this quick break, we'll talk about the series coming up with the lightning. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. 
There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so now, in the time we have left, we're going to preview this series that's coming up against the Tampa Bay Lightning, a rematch of last year's series. Uh, but that seems like ages ago now at this point. <laughs> Does it not? Um, so, uh, and the teams are different. So, yeah, Seeds, talk a little bit about how this Blue Jackets team is different from last year's Blue Jackets team that pulled off that historic upset. Uh, well, we don't have we we didn't go all in at the trade deadline this year, and we don't have any uh, major brand name household superstars, at least widely known across the league. Obviously, this is a team that lost Duchesne, Bobrovsky, Panarin, and Dzingel, um <laughs> last off season. Uh, none of whom are well. I guess Dzingel's still in the playoffs, but he didn't play in the first round against uh, the Rangers, so I, one can be forgiven for forgetting him. But um, this is a Blue Jackets team that relies heavily, more heavily than they did even last year on defense and goaltending. The the teams this the Blue Jackets team this year does things if it if at all possible. They make they they work harder to get results. They make you work harder to get results, but they're still the same defensive team that you see uh, or that you saw last year against the Lightning. Um, does this mean Columbus can run it back? I don't know. I'm not going to predict that they will. But we've learned that the Jackets um, will at least be a tough out. Uh, I don't know if they're going to beat the Lightning, they're, but they're certainly going to be, you know, it's the way I look at this series is I don't feel like Columbus can, will win. I just, I just don't. I'll be, I'll be blunt with you guys. But if the Jackets come out and punch Tampa Bay in the mouth and get the first goal or two in this series and Tampa's suddenly down, early in the first period, you better believe there's going to be some mind sweating on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm. This is also a weaker Lightning team than we saw last year. Um, last year, we saw a team with Victor Hedman hurt. Hedman got hurt again over the weekend on a kind of a fluke play. It looks like he sprained his own ankle, but Hedman like went, went back to the locker room and was beating his stick and broke it against the stands. And this is also a team that's without Steven Stamkos for who knows how long. So while the Jackets come in a little banged up with Z hurt, missing Josh Anderson, obviously missing all those superstars, the Lightning aren't exactly the world-beating 128-point team they were in the 18-19 regular season. So it might be a war of attrition. I I think it'll be. I don't think it'll be a four or five gamer, but I, it, we'll see what happens. So Elaine, uh, in terms of the maybe the mental side of the game, would you give the edge to Tampa seeking revenge or Columbus? knowing that Tampa is a team that they can beat. I give the edge to the Jackets, but not for the way that you're saying it. Okay. I think that, yes, they know that they can beat the team, but they also know that they're beatable, like the Jackets themselves are beatable. Mm. Um, what, see, what we saw with the Maple Leafs and what we saw all season, even with, um, even with all the injuries, is that they're very capable taking what's given and working with it. And you have to have a strong mental standpoint to do that. 
So I think that is something that the Jackets have above Tampa Bay, but also uh, they relied so heavily on the Monsters this year and the Monsters showed out. They came up and they were like, hey, what's up? I'm here. We're going to score goals. And um, <laughs> I Tampa Bay didn't have as much of that. Um, in Syracuse, which is Tampa Bay's farm team, they didn't have to deal with a ton of what the Monsters had to deal with this season, even with injuries in the farm team. So I think that the Jackets are just so prepared for anything because they're already like, we've already seen everything. <laughs> So I, I think they're just ready. Can I can I can I kind of piggyback off that for a little bit? Um, I think that one other point that goes in the Jackets' favor here mentally is that they've been playing games that actually matter for the last week, and sure. Tampa has not. Uh, I know they set up these uh, this round robin so that like the games would in theory matter, but if you watch those those guys were skating at like eighty percent, it didn't look like like. Boston was world beaters in the regular season, and I they didn't win a single game of the round robin. Yeah, Tampa Tampa did not look like world beaters in the uh, in the round robin. Uh, the Jackets have had a chance to eliminate a team, failed miserably, and had their backs to the wall in in an, in an elimination game. So now while they're coming in on short rest, they're more mentally engaged. They've been skating at game playoff speed and have been playing that heavy playoff-style hockey that we know Tampa struggled with last season. Um, that can, like, If it takes the, the Leafs a period or two to get going, that might that may help Columbus steal game one. And, that's, and then if you steal game one, it's, oh, here we go again. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, one of the, I don't know if I would call it an excuse, but maybe a factor in last year's series is they, that Tampa was so historically good that they had their spot in the playoffs locked up, you know, long before the end of the season. It even had the, the top seed locked up for a while. And so they were able to kind of coast down the stretch, maybe, you know, rest guys, you know, just, you know, save, save their engines for the, uh, for the playoffs. And then they maybe had trouble turning it on, whereas the Jackets had to fight just to get the eighth seed. And so I feel like you're saying that maybe there's a kind of similar factor here where Tampa, you know, knew their spot was going to be here, one of the top four seeds, whereas the Jackets had to fight to get to this point. Now, the question would be, has Tampa learned from last year how to more effectively? <laughs> I don't assume we'll hear a lady shaking her head. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think about how Tampa's always been this way, with the exception of John Tortorella's Tampa and with when Oren Kulis uh, owned Tampa, which was all same time, around the same time. Other than that, Tampa has always gotten into this mode of complacency. And um, even if they're, they know that they have to throw it all out there, the moment someone comes and jacks them in the face, they don't have the same type of fight that you would expect. Um, so no, I don't think that they are I think they say they're prepared, like air quotes, prepared um, to take on the Jackets. But I think their preparedness is, well, we're probably going to beat them because they're the Jackets. Interesting. I, yeah, I'm not going to count that they will underestimate us. I think they are very familiar now with how, how we play the kind of hockey the Jackets are going to play. But I, and I think there's going to be fire because that was such an embarrassing series for them. So I think 
I, I think they're going to be ready for it. So, uh, so it's prediction time. I'm going to say uh, that Tampa takes this in six games. Yeah, I think this is going to be a hard series. Uh, but I think that, again, they've got they've got the horses. They've got the, you know, elite, even with Stankos out, they've still got elite talent there. They are, they're a lot deeper with the kind of forwards that they have than Toronto is. They have a much better defense than Toronto has, and they have an elite goaltender, which Toronto doesn't have. So I think they're going to be able to break through in some ways that Toronto was not able to. And it's a longer series, which also then generally favors the more talented team. So that's my pick. Elaine, what is your pick for the series? I'm going to say that the Jackets are going to win in seven. Um, That's because it's going to be my birthday on game seven. (laughs) And I deserve to have both playoff hockey on my birthday and to watch the team that I cover win. I just deserve it. Okay. Yes. So, but also I, I just think that the Jackets, they have it this year. They have it. They had it last year. And just because they lost a bunch of, quote unquote key players it doesn't mean that they still don't have it because they were they were able to replace every single one of those key players um not so much to the extent of like what Panarin brought offensively to the team but you know they replaced the goal they hands down replaced the goalie um you know they Duchesne turned out to not be as really as important as we thought he had been to us um so yeah, I I strongly believe that the Jackets are going to win, but also I'm saying this because I just really want playoff hockey, birthday hockey. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but like I said, I, I just think, and the Jackets know what they're doing. Like Boone Jenner, the way that he is rushing the net and he is playing until the whistle blows. People stop all the time, and he's now convincing and getting other people on the team to realize that you're going to pick up that puck. You have to pick it up. Even if the goalie looks like he has it, if you didn't hear that whistle, and there's no way you can't hear a whistle right now because there's nobody in there, if you don't hear the whistle, you need to poke at it, you need to take it away, you need to flip it over his pads, something, and it's starting to catch on. So if they can do that... That'd be great. Um, my other prediction is there's going to be like five fights. <laughs> so five of them in one game. There's going to be a line brawl. <laughs> so excited. It's going to be like old time hockey. Love it. All right, Seeds. Well, I got bad news, Elaine. I am not picking Tampa <laughs> on your birthday. I'm got, I've got Tampa in five because, yeah. Uh, do you want to know what the Jackets lost when they lost Artemi Panarin last year? Offense. Um. If you guys remember last year in the Tampa series, we went five for 10 on the, uh, on the power play in that series. We went 50%. Did you guys know offhand what we did in the Tor- Toronto series on the power play? Ofer. 0.0% full blue Tarski. The Columbus Blue Jackets are a terrible, not good offensive team. And Tampa is good offensively. They are better than the Leafs defensively. They are better than the Leafs in goal and they are better offensively. I just don't, I think Columbus has enough to make it, make each of the five games competitive. And obviously I think they're going to steal one. I just don't think they have enough consistent offense to make it a series. 
Duchesne had a bad season in Pittsburgh, but the or in, in Pittsburgh, Duchesne had a bad season down in Nashville. But what he allowed for Columbus to do was for them to healthy scratch Alexander Winberg in the Tampa Bay series last year. Alexander Winberg, by every single metric possession wise, was the worst Blue Jackets forward that we iced in the Toronto series, and he is at, now at counted on to at even strength. Well, yeah, okay. And he was, regardless, he is going to be counted on to play 14-ish minutes a night, 11 or 12 at even strength. And he is going, he just, he he offensively is so bad that he drags whoever is down with him. For example, Oliver Bjorkstrand spent some time with uh, Uh uh, Winberg in the season, or in the series. And Bjorkstrand, despite uh, leading all Blue Jackets forwards in goals this year, was not on the ice for a goal during the Toronto Maple Leafs series. Yeah. That's real bad. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the, the, the Blue Jackets need... I, what, I, what I'm getting at is I want the Blue Jackets to win. Believe me, I do. Um, I just don't think they have the offensive horses to keep up, especially when you're relying on some guys with subpar talent to carry them there. Interesting. All right. Well, if you have Please, any, bench, just, bench Winberg and play Stenland. Uh, yes, you, play Stenland. <laughs> if you have any issues with what he just said there, you can tweet him at Eric underscore seeds. Uh, <laughs> please let him know what you think about that. Uh, I'll be waiting for your replies, Alex Winberg. <laughs> so that's all we have for this week. Uh, be sure to check in next week. We'll be talking about the first four games of the series. These games are coming fast and furious. Be sure to check out all of our coverage at jacketscanon.com. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and as always, thanks to Angela Purley for our theme music. You can check out more about her music, more about her upcoming shows at AngelaPurley.com. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>